And welcome to a bonus episode of the Retrospectors podcast, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory Co-op. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Sterlings. James, we're embarking on a grand experiment for the very first time in more than three years. We're doing a bonus episode. How do you feel about it? Um, it's kind of exciting, but I'm kind of more than anything glad that we're getting this out of the way. <laughs> We've been uh, chipping away at this one for a couple months now, right? Yeah, it's something that I expected us to like blast through in like... Uh, I guess, two weeks, but instead we've had to dedicate a significant amount of time to it. Uh, what I thought would be a very easy stroll, like a victory lap around the stealth genre, turned into quite a challenge, far more than I was expecting. It did end up being a bit more challenging than we thought it was. Hey, I think we uh, ripped into us Chaos Theory a bit in our original review, uh, criticizing it for being a bit too easy, and um, boy, were we in for a rude awakening with the color. It was, it was pretty funny. The whole time we were playing we were thinking oh my god what are people going to think when they when we say uh actually this game is really hard we we get exposed as, as frauds. frauds as the liars we are yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so for those who are unaware splinter cell and the splinter cell games actually have quite a history of having more interesting multiplier modes than typical video games uh, on the multiplayer side, they have the Mercs versus Spies mode, which people love to bits, where you had this kind of like asymmetric multiplayer thing going on where some people played as Splinter Cell agents while the others played as tough thugs. Um, but I think even more famously is Splinter Cell's co-op missions. And the thing about Chaos Series co-op missions is it's not like Halo, where you play the single-player campaign with a friend. It is an entirely new set of missions specially designed for co-op and in fact only able to be completed in co-op by virtue of their design. So this was something that I've kind of always been interested in. I remember reading reviews of the Chaos Theory co-op when it first came out in 05 or 04, whatever it was, and that, this seemed like a fantastic opportunity to dive in. Um, James and I are both fans of the Splinter Cell games, so it seemed like a worthwhile thing to explore. And we didn't want to have it as a separate episode just because, you know, we thought we'd be over it in three to four hours. It's not quite how it worked out, but here we are for the bonus episode. I think the first thing to understand about Splinter Cell's Chaos Theory co-op is how to actually play it in the year 2022, because originally you used to be able to play it online as well as LAN, and unfortunately the online servers are now down, um, not a surprise 17 years later, but there's still a workaround to trick the game into thinking you're on a LAN server. So back in the day, we used to use services like Hamachi to get this working for our Warcraft 3 games and stuff. But the one we use this time around is a service called Zero Tier 1. And it functions much the same way as Hamachi. It tricks computers connected over the internet into thinking that they're on a LAN network. So all you need to do, we'll, we'll put an extensive link to the show notes. We found some stuff on Reddit. Someone helpfully made a guide that explained how to get it up and running, but it's pretty simple. You just download this program. Um, you fiddle with some network settings underneath Zero Tier 1, and you're good to go to play your virtual LAN game. 
So we thought a little bit about the structure of this episode. You know, normally we break things down in graphics and music and all the different bits and pieces. But since we've already spent a very long time talking about Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, we thought we would just talk about our experiences as we moved through the campaign. There's a training mission and six uh, six missions afterwards. So we thought we'd just talk about how, how it was like to play it and just let stuff come up organically. It's a bonus episode, so we get to play a bit loose and fast with the rules for this one. Oh, and I guess finally I should say you should definitely listen to us on a Cell Chaos Theory episode first. When we do sequel episodes, we highly recommend it, but it's not strictly necessary. I think that listening to our Chaos Theory app is almost required listening for this because there's just so much that we're so many of the fundamentals that we're not going to explain about the game because we want to be talking about the co-op experience and what it was like playing it. So the Splinter Cell Chaos Theory co-op starts with the training mission. And I think this is, you know, where the first major mechanic is introduced, the special moves. So when I said that you are required to play these games in co-op in order to, in order to proceed through the missions, this is mainly what I mean by it. There's a series of moves that are very easily executed by you both pressing uh, a key. In this case, I think it's F. And what they do is they allow your agents to cooperate to uh, do platforming maneuvers that are otherwise impossible in the base game. So for example, there's one where you can throw your teammate over a gap and the jumping in Splinter Cell is garbage. So this gives you far more uh, horizontality to your jumps than would normally be uh, possible. Um, there's another one where you can assist your teammate in rappelling down the side of a building uh, so that you can lower them into a location that once again, if you just dropped off the edge, would kill you. So the first discussion point, James, I guess, is what do you think of these special moves, both in theory and in practice and how they use throughout the game? My first impression of these was really high. I always thought that one of the things this series did extremely well was making its contextual actions feel very smooth and well animated. All of these cooperative moves fit the bill exactly, like... Whenever you're, you know, jumping up onto a ledge and letting your partner climb up your dangling body, it all feels very smooth, very natural. And to me, like, the introduction of moves specific to, you know, the co-op gameplay opened up this huge well of possibilities. I was imagining these huge sprawling chaos theory levels with multiple paths through them that would allow me and you to, you know, figure out where to use these moves in order to maybe game the level a bit, uh, maybe find some little shortcuts or find some, you know, a bit of gameplay that we normally like we wouldn't have been able to find in the single player campaign so you know once we finished the training mode i was actually very excited to see um you know the kinds of situations that we could get ourselves into using these moves yeah and the training mode does a really good job introducing and explaining all these moves and they're all mm. very very simple to understand and to execute they open up the levels in ways which you weren't expecting because there'll be uh high you know, like vents in the roof that, you know, were otherwise an unreachable vent that now theoretically are open to. And James, like you, I was like, wow, this stuff is really cool. Uh, I, I can't wait to see them in, uh, in practice. But unfortunately for us, it didn't quite work out how we were expecting. And I think that that's largely a consequence of the level design of Splinter Cell Chaos series. Y yeah, something that should have been immediately obvious to me during the tutorial, but wasn't until much later, 
was that all of these contextual actions can actually only be performed in special designated like boxes. Like you kind of have to stand on the special move square and press the special move button to use the special move. You can't just execute these whenever, wherever, um, in order to try and find where they're used. It's like the level design specifically designates areas that these can be used. And outside of those, you really can't, you know, use them or take advantage of them in creative ways. So really, they end up being more like keys. cooperative keys yeah. yeah, than anything. Yeah, they're not actually there to, you know, give you creative tools to mess around in. Uh, and I, that was immensely disappointing for me. It was like, it was the thing I was the most excited for going into the co-op was, you know, some brand new gameplay. And it's just so limiting um i cannot overstate this enough how disappointed i was that these moves are not able to be used creatively whatsoever they are in fact just contextual keys yeah the fundamental difference between this game and something like dishonored is that dishonored is like okay here's a blink and this blink lets you reach a bunch of different places or you can turn into a rat and it makes you small or prey does something similar you can turn into a mug and it makes you small and then it gives you millions of things to do with those abilities like turning into a you know the transformation power and prey if you turn into a small item all of a sudden there's all these gaps in the world that you can suddenly fit through um the blink power and dishonored all of a sudden opens up a bunch of different ways to proceed through the level that were otherwise shut to you and that's what i wanted from splitter cell chaos theory i wanted to have the world unlock as a playground of different pathing but yes it's just like in a metroidvania when you obtain an ability and the ability is useless in terms of how you use it through the world it's just there to uh oh you require two players to get to the next area it's not strictly that there are moments where it does give you some additional options but it's far more limited than you might expect i fail to think of a situation where you had the option of doing multiple of these and you had to figure out which one to use no it was to me it was always you know okay there's a vent up there i guess i'll boost you up and there's you know there's no decision making here and half the time um, it took you to like a different corner of the room <laughs> like not even the other side of the room you just emerged <laughs> out of different sections and you could see each other immediately it, it's not yeah. like it was even a meaningful shortcut a lot of the time so there was actually a second way that i think these moves ultimately negatively impacted my enjoyment of the game um was that specifically with the boost um oftentimes what the game would do with its level design is that it would present to you a locked door and then maybe a hole in the roof so what would happen is i would boost patrick through the hole and then patrick would go off and have an adventure killing some guards and finding you know his way to the other side of the door um at which point he would unlock the door and, you know, during that two to three minute period of time, I would be sitting on the other side of the door just waiting, doing literally nothing, you know, sitting on my phone, waiting for Patrick to finish having fun <laughs> um, and then open the door. And this happened maybe two to three times a level on average, I'm going to say. There are a lot of cases where one person, you know, boosts someone else over something and then they go and have an adventure and the other person just sits there bored out of their mind. There was a really funny time with this though where um 
there was a bit where one of you took an injection to go into like this radioactive zone and um james had taken it the first couple of times and gone in there he knew what to do um but then when he was getting it the third time i kept dropping down on him to do damage to him and he got shitty with me and made me do it so <laughs> that was that was kind of a funny unintended consequence because James knew exactly what to do where all the guards were and James is like fuck off you can do this and he walked away from his computer and I'm like well I guess I gotta do this and I think we'll be returning to this point but I think it is important to note that when you're talking about cooperative video games shitty design doesn't necessarily mean a shitty experience and like i said this is a big point i'll get into it later but that was one amusing part that that, that, uh, that we arrived at from that uh from that scenario where one player is doing stuff while the other twiddles their thumbs yeah so that happened a lot um so then we moved on to the first level um and something that we noticed very quickly was that we couldn't save skirm our way through the levels with quick save like we probably did a bit during the the single player yeah no checkpoints um, either it was just like if you die you have to start from the start which which we both found very i guess shocking that the game would have this insane level of difficulty from the very beginning yeah and spoilers we did not make it to the end of the first level i think we finished every other level in the game but that first one um but it was a bit of a wild ride hey yeah we, we got to the very end and then uh yeah thing, things went sideways so so the first level is called bank and it is a bank uh it more resembles an office building than anything else and i think that this was a very weak introduction to what this game was about and it kind of made me worried about the rest of the experience so the thing that stood out about this first mission is how claustrophobic the level design was when there were two players inside it they hadn't massively widened the rooms or areas if at all compared to the main campaign and so a lot of the time there's two of you kind of crouched up on the same door and it's unclear what it is you're meant to be doing as a cooperative team because the difficulty level of this first mission, apart from, you know, the mandatory bits where you need to boost a player or whatever, I would say is exactly the same as a single player mission. Yeah, and right down to the number of guards as well. I thought that, you know, had we doubled the number of players, we would also double the number of patrolling guards. Not the case. And what ended up happening in practice was that we had one guard you know, patrolling down the same narrow corridor as they would have in the single player, which led to a lot of, okay, I'll take out the guard now. And we just, you know, went back and forth taking turns to take out the one guard because the play areas just weren't big enough to accommodate two players. In some ways, it's more difficult with two players, right? Yeah, because, you know, you... The optimal place to stand in a stealth game is usually quite a narrow space, and because you can't, like, both occupy the same space at the same time, the second player is often forced to hide in, like, suboptimal cover mm -hmm. because of the narrow play space. Um, so it was just easier to let one person sit outside and have me or Patrick go and take out the one patrolling dude which was kind of not what I want out of a cooperative experience at all. Like, to me, the best cooperative games have both players split up, do their own thing that sometimes, you know, um, helps each other briefly. Like in Portal 2's co-op campaign, 
one player will need to stand on a button for a couple of seconds for the other player, and then immediately, you know, you'll both start moving forward again. Uh, there was a lot of dead space in this, and it, like, so many, much of this first level was not designed for two people. You know, I found this less fun than if we were just playing the main game and passing the controller back and forth every time one of us died. Yeah, a better equivalent um, example, I guess, for Chaos Theory is, say you had to boost your teammate off up to a ledge. Um, that ledge would allow the teammate to get in position to use their pistol hacker thing to disable a light that the other player couldn't see. That would allow the player to move into the next patch of shadows. And from that patch of shadows, that person might be able to take out a patrolling guard that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to get rid of. Now, that's a kind of very tightly designed thing with not a lot of flexibility or freedom. But I feel like something like that would lean more heavily into the kind of level design that Chaos Theory is giving us, which is not big and open and expansive. It's tight and confined. And tight and confined design can work, but you need to fill it with threats and opportunities that allow both players to i guess play a role level one may as well have been a single player mission and that just meant that it had all of the problems of uh regular splinter cell chaos theory that is that the levels aren't densely populated enough but it was even worse <laughs> because the second player is just you know hanging around picking their nose instead of contributing to actually succeeding in the mission yeah and this is kind of where i was also surprised about the co-op's level design because it was a lot more linear than the single player was. Like, one of the big takeaways from us um, coming from the first Splinter Cell into Chaos Theory is that Chaos Theory was notably a lot more open than its predecessors. So I was quite surprised that the co-op was then extremely linear. And it was funny because during the episode, I lamented on the move to the more open level design because I liked the tight linear level design of the first game. And I actually didn't like it here in the co-op. You know, I think I would have liked this game a whole lot more if it was swapped with the, the single player being linear and the multiplayer being more open because I think that they play to the strengths of, you know, those experiences. Yeah, the the real problem with this mission was, though, in addition to be, being linear, it was yeah. also confusing <laughs> because I remember playing it. We were literally sprinting around this place trying to figure out where to get to it, because there was an elevator that unlocked shortcuts to move you between levels, but we weren't really sure what the advantage of doing so was because there was one specific room that the game didn't let us go earlier on that suddenly it would let us get into later i it was just it was just a real mess we were not having a good time but at least it had a funny ending right james so we're up above this big entryway we're skirting around the edges and we can see a bunch of guards patrolling on the lower level and then i think we get across and into an elevator um, and then the elevator descends down and we complain a bit about the level and how easy it is and how boring it is. Um, and then the elevator opens up. Three or four guards immediately spot us and then gun us down, instantly dead. We last about <laughs> half a second. It's just like bang, 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 die. And you have to remember, we're iron manning these levels. There is no mid-level saving. We have just spent ages running around this bank taking out every single guard, every single security camera. This It's completely empty, and we just instantly get killed. And that was the point where we're like, 
we're ready for mission two. <laughs> we threw <laughs> we threw our hats this. in. So technically, nope. we we didn't finish all of the missions. We got most of the way with this one, and then we're like, we 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 need we need something different. We need to move on to something because otherwise, we're just going to be salty forever. It was funny though in hindsight. It was funny at the time as well. To be fair, I remember we both laughed. But uh, yeah, that that was that was the end of it. So then we moved on to mission two, um, and I have to say I did enjoy this one a lot more. And we we did give it more of a try than we did the first. I think we made in total about four attempts at the level, although there were many restarts at the beginning um, because Patrick really wanted to take out the first guard um, and we kept well, dying. It was, I think this mission was more challenging. So it was closer to the level of challenge I was expecting. That very first area has like three guards in a fairly small room. And uh, the reason it took us so long is that I really wanted to lure the guard out with a bottle for James to uh, to attack him, but it kept screwing up in different ways, uh, and James kept getting <laughs> shot, and then the mission ended. But at least it was at the start, so we weren't losing much progress as, we, as I was stuffing around throwing this bottle against the walls. I was getting <laughs> real salt. I was like, can we just <laughs> please just move on? Like, all we have to do <laughs> is sit in this shadow, wait 20 seconds, and then, like, right-click on this But I wanted to do the bottle get... strat. It was, it was a really good strategy. Uh, <laughs> miserable. <laughs> But yeah, so so this one, the levels were were a bit more open. I thought there was still parts where it got really cramped, but it was a bit more open. And we also get uh, a bit on the story. Uh, I mean, believe it or not, this this co op mission has its own unique story. What, what did you think of it, James? I don't remember the story, Patrick, because I don't remember the story for any co op game I play because it just does not work. Yeah, for me. we we had a bit of a discussion about this before the show started. But the basic idea is when you're playing co op there is a very specific kind of story that works. Uh, I would say it has to be very light on plot or the plot has to not matter at all. And I think having a strong character focus helps. And also if it's humorous, although I, I don't think that's strictly a requirement, it's just that it has to be light and carefree. And the examples we came up were Portal 2 and Borderlands 2, both games with a co-op story where it doesn't really matter what the hell is happening. You're just kind of like, as you're playing through the game, you're enjoying the ambient conversation that comes over on the intercom. Yeah, the worst has to be like RPGs where you need to get a quest and read the quest text. That stuff just does not work in co-op whatsoever. Like, I'm not going to want to sit there and read through all the story while my friends sit there getting annoyed and talking and you know i'm trying to read and they're talking over me over my thinking and then i'm slowing them down or they're slowing me down it's just so clunky and tedious um and you know you're you're not immersed in co-op at all the same way you are in single player like i cannot fully immerse myself in the world i'm too busy talking shit with my friends getting mad at patrick for not putting the <laughs> fucking bottle down uh, you know that kind of thing and there was a cool moment here where it kind of connected with the main story because in the main story uh sam fisher interrogates some people for your splinter cell and you got to see the other side of it but outside of that yes you that do not play was this good. game for that the was story. like the best part of the story in both the single player and the multiplayer it was great because i wasn't yeah. expecting that tie-in um and when it happened i was like oh that's sweet yeah, it was well done, yeah. So I, I think that towards the end of this mission, we kind of ran into an example of uh, the special moves not being as free as we'd like. 
Uh, there's a bit where you can see your target through an open window and you can get up on a ledge opposite the window and James and I are like, oh, so we'll do the throw maneuver and we'll throw you into the window. But when we tried to do it, the game's like, no, this is not what you're meant to do. You're meant to climb this chain link fence on the side and go around, even though it would have been a perfectly reasonable thing to do in that space with that move and this is why chaos theory doesn't really quite move into immersive sim territory you're not given a bunch of tools and you get to use those tools as you see fit it's still so linear and context sensitive and i'd say that that moment was one of the most disappointing ones in the entire campaign yeah and that's kind of when i think we decided to move on to mission three we got to that end part maybe twice um <laughs> on our proper attempts we got very close to beating that mission and then we were like okay we'll come back for this later once we've gotten a bit better because we you know we were quickly realizing that the skills and the you know, the abilities that we were good enough to carry us through the main game with saves um, were not good enough to Iron Man our way through entire levels in co-op, especially, yeah. you know, when we were distracting each other constantly. And we were screwing up and, like, we were getting impatient and shooting people on the head instead of, you know, sitting there for a minute and a half and studying patrol routes. So getting through these missions, if you knew, knew what you were doing, probably, like, 15 to 20 minutes. But I think that at this stage, like, it was plus two hours. And because yeah. every single time we failed, it's it's very easy to die if you get if one of you gets spotted once. A lot of the time you're going to fail. And without any saving, that means you've lost you know 10 minutes of progress every single time it doesn't take much for that time to add up quickly yeah and i gotta say i do not have the same patience um for stealth in multiplayer as i do when i'm playing by myself like mm. the the whole like studying patrol pattern things i just cannot be fucked to do that and i just want to run and gun basically so i'm constantly fighting that urge to run out and start shooting then the other half of the time i'm waiting for patrick to do his thing while i'm sitting in a corner quietly it's very um it, it wasn't working for me at this point no, I, I don't have the patience. I think that if you have a co-op partner and you're both very patient, this will be less of an issue if you're happy just to sit there. But James and I both both very get a bit fidgety, bored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, when I'm playing by myself, I don't have a problem with it because I I guess I, I can just take it at my own pace and I know it's just affecting me. But in co-op, I'm a lot faster to get out that gun. And yeah. go for a headshot. Yeah, I think every mission ended up with me having a higher score than you just because you would have like <laughs> 30 kills and I would have like four knockouts or something. Yeah, just my got... professional FPS skills, James. Uh -huh. uh, on that <laughs> note, the um, I felt like the accuracy of the weapons in this game was significantly worse than in single player. Or it may have just been <laughs> I that... I think it was the same. <laughs> the same, yeah, or more noticeable because I missed, you know uh shots that should have been guaranteed kills like so many times and then it started happening to you as well i feel like part of it is that we just used those guns a lot more than we did in single player yeah like in single player <laughs> i was barely using my weapons but in this game i was using them a lot more yeah um yeah although so here's the thing this is kind of tying into my grand point about games being janky and not necessarily working doesn't mean it's intrinsically bad I think that the guns being bad on some level is actually important to preserve the 
I guess, the stealth experience and to stop you from just killing everyone with your guns super easily. The very fact that it's difficult and, and unpredictable to use your guns means that you don't use them as much. And I feel like in these first two missions, we weren't using our guns nearly as much as we ended up doing later. Yeah, so so that brings us to mission three. And mission three, uh, we made a grand discovery, didn't we, James? Yeah, I've never been as simultaneously happy and embarrassed um, as I was in mission three when after maybe we were like... Bitching. We yeah, were bitching we were, about the save game system, yeah. Yeah, we were bitching about the save game system because we were like 40, 40 minutes into this mission of retrying it from the start because the beginning <laughs> was, was so hard. much harder than the last two missions and we were like, are we actually going to be able to get anywhere near the end of this game? <laughs> um, and then, you know, I went to get a... Uh, I paused the game and I went to get a drink um, and I came back to my computer... And I noticed that there was a save game button sitting there on the menu this whole time and that we could have been using save games. We could have been saving our game like this entire time after we'd sunk like six hours maybe into this co-op to, to, to make this completely clear, I did not have access to the save game function. This is peer-to-peer -peer networking. So this James was the host. Patrick's fault. James was the host. And every time we've talked about this, James keeps saying we. Oh, we forgot about the saving. No, James didn't realize we were saving. So the entire time we were spending two to four hours on those first two missions, Iron Manning from the beginning <laughs> was because James couldn't see the fucking save menu option from the start. And it immediately changed the experience. <laughs> Man, it was it was great because we actually beat that mission because we could save the game. <laughs> and it's hard. I like level three. It's hard for me to, I guess, assess the nature of the experience. I think it was my favorite one up to that point, but it could just literally be because at that point we could save the game, so we could get through a bit and then I, save. I actually liked mission two better. Um, I mm -hmm. think one of the things that really frustrated me with mission three. Um, was that they introduced this kind of dual diffusal thing where there'd be a bomb and also we had to put together this like antidote um, for some virus or something. And basically the window dressing on this is that we need to cooperate to perform this delicate maneuver and if one of us fucks up, you know, everything's going to explode. Um, and we quickly realized that you can't actually fail these. Um, so <laughs> you just spam buttons. <laughs> yeah, if you just spam buttons, um, eventually you'll both hit the same one at the same time and you'll get it out of the way really quickly. This coupled with the, you know, the co-op maneuvers being un, you know, unusable outside of their magic boxes was really starting to grate on my nerves because it was like limiting the experience for me a lot. Um, however, the end of this level had probably one of the best bits of stealth co-op in the whole, you know, co-op campaign, I'm going I, to I say. I would say the best. I yeah. think this was my favorite bit of the entire thing. So this area is like, the first thing is we kind of like emerge from a ladder into darkness, which is good. And this area in front of us has like five people. There's one on a boat off to the side that you can't really reach. Pretty sure there's like eight total, including the two going back and forth from the like the other side. Man, I don't think it was eight, but it was certainly a lot. Um, and you have different guards on different patrol overlapping patrol routes. You've got guards on high on like a 
raised staircase looking over. There's a guard on a boat that you can't actually reach. And there's room for both of you to kind of go to different areas with different kind of line of sight obscuring different areas although it's still kind of narrow so these five guards are very close together so it took us quite a number of tries to figure out the exact order that we needed to take the guards out and even Mm -hmm. then like we needed a few more tries to get the execution right and by far this was the part of the co-op that required the most retries and was the most engaging like I liked this bit a lot. To me, this was, you know, the best part of the whole co-op, and it was had nothing to do with the co-op moves whatsoever. It was just lots of guards with patrol routes, and we had to figure shit out. Yeah, they actually did what they should have done from the beginning. They yeah. put a number of guards in there to reflect the fact that there were two of us and able to work together. And there was this real uh, thing of iterative problem solving. So... One of us, I think I figured out that with precise timing, I could grab a guard and knock them out of that patrol route. It's like, okay, so we know that we can always take out this guard first. What do we do next? Like, how are we going to proceed? And it was hard because these areas were lit up. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was just excellent. And I wish the game had had more of this. I wish it had more of this from the beginning. Because there was you... probably only two or three more times in the whole thing that had something of this nature. And it was still none of them kind of came close to this one, I don't think. Yeah, it was it was just really good. And like you said, James, no co-op moves, but it didn't matter uh because the the fundamentals here were strong enough. When I said before that, you know, it's fine that the shooting isn't very good, something that becomes a lot more notable in co-op is how janky the AI is. Hmm. Um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, Ubisoft, Ghost Recon, Wildlands, they've got this thing where if you, you can kind of almost simultaneously take out two guards if you shoot at the same time. Doing that in Chaos Theory is fucking impossible. impossible. Because (laughs) the moment you a guard dies in another one's vision, the moment, like the millisecond, it'll almost be like a frame flicker. They'll frame flicker to a different to a different uh angle, whether they're running or they're just turning and aiming their gun at you. And if you're out in the open, you can die instantly. So if two of you are sitting there both lining up a headshot on these two guys and you try and shoot them simultaneously, you maybe have a 25% chance of success. Yeah, it was really low. And, you know, there's something to be said for unexpected results, right? They can lead to interesting gameplay situations. It's Mm kind of weird that in the co-op experience, I think that this kind of thing is notably worse. Um, Like, if you have Call of Duty... Um, and there are, you know, brief stealth sections where this can happen, and then, you know, finally when someone screws up, it breaks out into a regular firefight. The game is kind of set up in a way that you can continue playing the game from this point. Chaos Theory does not feel that way. It feels like you just have to reload the save and try again until you get both cards. Sometimes you can kind of jank your way through it. Like, I remember we were struggling with a bit and the two guards were walking towards me and I just managed to shoot them both with pistol headshots and it didn't alert them for some reason. It's like, well, I guess we got through this bit. Yeah. So there's there's a small chance of you just kind of face-planting your way through it. For the co-op specifically, I also think there's a huge problem in this game where if Patrick gets seen by guards, 
they will also know where I am. Even yeah, if I'm exactly. like, if I'm in a vent, like they yeah. will know where I am, like despite, you know, only seeing you. So, yep. and that is garbage, honestly. Like, agreed. There could be this like situation where you're hiding in a room and I'm sneaking up on the two guards who are, you know, trying to flush you out of the room and I can take them out silently before they see me. <laughs> that situation can never happen here. And that would be a fun thing to happen. Yes. One player acting is a distraction. Yeah, you can't do any of that. It's so annoying. And that's one of the, the main reasons why I want to reload every time we fuck up. It's so funny because one player will, you know, step into a patch of light. James is in the shadows creeping up on them and they just turn around and shoot James in the head. That kind of stuff happened all the time. One player would unintentionally just... It doesn't make any sense. It's not like they did anything super wrong. It's just that the game is jank as fuck. It's just like uh, a half-baked co-op mode, to be honest. Um... So yeah, yeah, that was my experience at that point. Um, and and as we were doing this, I mean, thank God we discovered saving. Yeah, because man. we would not have got through this level <laughs> without Patrick challenging had that seen last that save was. earlier. We could have beaten. Oh uh, yeah, the first. fuck off, James. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move on to um probably both of ours least favorite yeah, mission, fuck this or, mission or towards the bottom at least and that's the train station mission so much yeah so the train station areas were not well designed and then there were specific parts of this mission which were infuriating so the first one was we had to bug a phone and we came up with a way to bug this phone james used snuck up on in shadow and he placed a bug on the phone didn't alert anyone but the moment he stepped away it alerted, it created an alert, he got shot because we weren't doing it exactly the game, the way the game wanted us to. And the way the game wanted us to was so tedious and time consuming. We had to like go in these, like the area is massive and you have to cr get behind two guards and take them out. And if you don't do that and then do a specific thing where you lower the other player to the phone, it just doesn't work. The mission has a very scripted way it wants you to complete these missions. If you come up with a reasonable alternative, the game shakes its head at you and says, no, no, no. Very not in the spirit of the main game, which uh, was a much more open affair. It was really annoying. But I think mm -hmm. that ultimately the bit that drove me close to breaking point <laughs> was the bit directly after this, where you had to follow the guy who answered the phone call for maybe, you know, like a minute. This took us... It's got to be like half an hour of retries to like figure you out. You thought it was bugs. Yeah, honestly. it was so bad. So the idea is the guy's walking to an antidote to inject himself with. Um, and he there's guards in his wake that he's leaving behind. So what you have to do is you have to theoretically uh, get to this. You take out all these guards behind him and then take him out before he can take the antidote because you need it. Uh, firstly, that wasn't clear as to what we were meaning to do. We thought at first it was just, you know, a uh, uh, stealth... Uh, what's it called where you're following someone, James? What trailing? Kind of I don't know. Yeah, we, yeah, trailing. Yeah, we thought it was just a trailing mission. But it was a timed trailing mission where we had to get through these areas. And, oh my god, this is insanely hard. Like, if we, if we had to successfully ghost past all these guys, I don't even know how it's possible... In the end, the solution was literally just to shoot him. That's how you beat this thing. It was shoot him as soon as you see him, and then he can't get to the antidote. And we were so confused. We're like, what? So this whole thing where you're meant to follow him past three guards and not alert him is just not what you're meant to do, which is where the game is pointing you in that direction. I, 
I, I didn't get it. It, it sucked. Yeah, I, terrible, terrible signposting. Yeah, at this point, after those two sections directly, one after another, I was in such a bad mood towards the end half of this mission. Like, I was really fuming. Um, and this is a bit it, where I started dropping on James's head, so that kind of... Yeah, this was where I snapped head. and walked away from my computer and was like, no, you can do it on your own, fuck you. <laughs> it was a bit cathartic, uh, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, see, I, I, I have fun hijinks to relieve the stress, whereas James just gets mad. It's okay. In the next two missions, I accidentally dropped off cliffs onto your head like four or five times, like yeah, half healthing you. Yeah, so train station was quite bad, and at this stage, uh, feelings on the game were mixed. So then mission five. And mission five and six uh, weren't in the original Xbox release of this game. There were bonus ones exclusively for PC. I don't know if they came out afterwards or whatever, but if you buy the game now, these missions five and six are included. The first thing that stands out is there's no voice acting in these, yeah. and it's actually a little disconcerting. <laughs> the production values dropped off a cliff with these two uh, game missions because, you know, these were clearly added later. No voice acting at all. Um... A lot of the patrol routes were a bit funky. Uh, however, I didn't actually think that these two missions were that bad. In fact, I thought that the the second of these was probably the best mission overall. Mm -hmm. And Agreed. The one before it, you didn't like so much, but I actually thought was decent because there was quite a bit more you know, messing around with complex guard patrols than there had been in the previous levels. And there were a couple of sections where you could split up um temporarily yeah and then there was that like really cool platforming puzzle where you come out of a vent and then you have to like hang down and then crawl around which patrick didn't notice and then knocked me off my hang and i was very upset <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> all right that was like i'm I a genius that. That was... and patrick's like where and walks out and knocks his butt oh, that was the so floor. good yeah. it's like making us do another like three minutes of platforming to get back up there yeah i i think the thing that turned me off about it is that it was still a lot of like office spaces and i was kind of off office spaces at this point yeah. Um I I prefer the industrial settings in Splinter Cell generally because they're at least a bit more diverse. But yeah, I, I think the thing that really distinguished Mission 6 from the other ones is that there were bigger spaces. And I think one of my favorite ones was like the the you know, the room with the orange floor and the fans. Like that was a big room with six guards. And it wasn't as that took us so difficult. Many goes. <laughs> yeah, it, it did it did, but the process of us figuring out was actually quite enjoyable. Um because yeah, you had like the six guards in the room and then you had one on the staircase outside, and there were a bunch of different ways to because the room was so large, it felt like there was more space to kind of pick your own method of dealing with everything. Mm. I I like I liked that a lot. And there were a couple more spaces like that like that room you know the server room where yes. with the vents on either side and yeah so so mission six from a gameplay point of view for me was the best level design in in the entire co-op campaign it also had the most like enjoyable platforming there was this one room that i think had maybe a single guard in the entire room which we took out immediately and then we spent a good five to ten minutes trying to figure out the way through the room because there was like chain link fences everywhere and a few places to drop down from and a couple of weird like ledge crawls you had to do and this was easily the most enjoyable bit of platforming in the entire co-op bit 
Um, I thought that figuring out how to get through this room was a highlight of the level for me. I do want to point out that on two separate occasions on Mission 6, James did not drop a repel line down to me, and he was confused as to what to, what to happen. And it was twice. <laughs> twice. Now, I, I missed Event, so yeah, I'm yeah, partially you, you stupid as well. when we're talking about the big room where you missed Event. <laughs> I did, but you missed two. Like, it happened twice. It was unbelievable. I, I was down there at the bottom of that fan room for five minutes. It was ridiculous. Oh, yeah, and then there was that bit afterwards that you just couldn't get through. <laughs> well, to be fair, uh, if- that room, there was the bit you couldn't get through with the staircase where you were getting shot in the back of the head constantly. I think yeah, I had to fair. climb that ladder like 10 times to turn the fans off. Yeah, it, it is It is quite funny. Uh, we played through the entire thing on Expert, but the entire time we were like, man, we, we have to be so good at this game after we slagged off Chaos Theory's difficulty. <laughs> and then we just kept <laughs> we playing so like complete bad. goofballs. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, did you have any other notes, James? I think we're kind of coming to where where we want to be. I, I mean, I know we've been talking kind of stream of consciousness, but I think people have a pretty decent idea of what this game's about now. Yeah, I thought on the whole it was a very mixed experience. Like, there were definitely really good parts, but there was a lot of really boring bad stuff in here. Like, I thought that some of the co-op level design was, like, very restrictive, no room for creativity, narrow corridors only suitable for one player, that kind of thing. And then there were the, like, brief flashes of brilliance, kind of, like, interspersed between these, like, long stretches of, like, mediocrity that, you know, were fun with friends, but otherwise, like, not enjoyable at all. Yeah, so I've written an article, it's one I'm, I'm pretty proud of it, it's called Halo 2 The Jank Equilibrium, and the premise of that article is that basically jank can actually elevate specifically co-op experiences in a way that stands in the face of their uh, game design on, on, the, on the face of it. And I think that there's a bit of that happening with Splinter Cell Chaos Theory here as well. I think if you just evaluate this purely on how good a game it is for the co-op experience, it's not very good. Like, there's a lot of problems here. However, I have to say, playing through it with James, I actually had a lot of fun. Like, I I did. And I, I think that a large part of that is to do with the fact that uh, it is so janky and uncoordinated and you die out of left field and, you know, you drop on top of one another and you keep trying to do these moves where it won't let you and, you know, I can throw bottles around the place. It's not quite full-on shenanigans like a proper immersive sim, but I think that the level of jank here is about the right level to um, elevate this above its baseline mechanics. Yeah, and I would say this elevates it from a bad experience to an okay one, like... Let's mm-hmm. be honest, everything is fun with friends. Like, we could be doing anything and it would be fun. We could be playing a game that's purely grinding and Patrick could have fun. Hell, we could no. be playing the game that's just we throw rocks at each other and it would be fun, right? See, I, I've held that opinion for a long time, James. Fun with friends, therefore you can dismiss it out of hand. But I think there is something deeper here because I think that if we were playing an ARPG together or an MMO together, I wouldn't have had this level of fun. Right. I, I definitely wouldn't have. I think that 
this game did produce an experience which is above and beyond. I wouldn't say it's as good as Portal 2 or another good example is Divinity Original Sin 2. Like that's a game that is has good co-op mechanics because the complexity of the game is such that all the conversations you have are enjoyable trying to figure out strategy. It's not good in that sense. I think it's good in the sense that the shenanigans and the jankiness um kind of bring it above the the stuffing about ends up being more fun than um than just playing a video game i i would say this is more fun than borderlands 2 as a co-op experience i disagree with that i okay i think you're a lot higher on the experience mostly because it was like me getting mad and you like (laughs) oh i was like i was really hating it at points like i i really was happy once we'd finally got to the end to be honest that is fair i i am eager to do halo 2 with you one day oh man (laughs) we'll see you've already done it though you You know how to get past each bit it'll just be me being bad at fps that doesn't sound too unenjoyable Uh (laughs) uh-huh It wasn't all bad. I would, um, if you do want to play Splinter Cell co-op, I would say just skip, do the tutorial, skip the first level, skip the train station, <laughs> and save your game, and you'll probably have a decent time. Maybe don't, <laughs> yes. maybe don't bother playing on expert, or although maybe that was part of the part of the charm. I think it is, yeah. But yeah, saving your game is an important part of the experience. Yeah, <laughs> definitely be aware of that. You can save your game. You know, it's this super secret hidden menu option where we eventually did discover it. Yeah, if only Patrick had seen that sooner. Magically. Anyway, I think that just about does it. So yeah, we're uh, mixed feelings on the Chaos Theory Co-op. I think it's worth your time because of its jankiness, not in spite of it. James is a bit lower, but he it sounds like he it's tolerable at the very least, even if it's not very good. We'd love to know what you guys thought of this episode. Obviously, our first bonus episode, our first co-op episode, it's a bit different structurally, but um, we had a lot of fun doing it um, and we'd love to do it again. I guess what we would ask you is like, if you've got a special request for a bonus episode, we'd love to hear it. Particularly, I think co-op games make good bonus episodes and, you know, we will have to find the time to do it. But if there's something that comes to mind, please do jump on and suggest us to it because uh, we don't always have an inordinate amount of time, but if we do, we like to spend it playing video games. So uh, it might just turn into a bonus episode anyway. Luna 2, baby. Uh, Luna 2 and all JRPGs are banned from bonus episodes. And if I had my way, they'd be banned from the mainline Retrospectors podcast. So please don't suggest any of those either. Um, But yeah, thank you everyone so much. Um, And I guess we'll see you in an undefined amount of time for an undefined next episode. We'll see you then, guys. See you then. (laughs) 